Listening, Helping, Learning is a book for people responsible to design and facilitate a process, especially a change process where you are learning and adapting to what you discover along the way. You know you are here, you know you need to be there, but the pathway isn't revealing itself easily, nor is the end result. That's what this book is about. The Society for Process Consulting identified the 12 core competencies for effectively guiding processes like these, and the book gives you case studies to show those competencies at work. Learn more at listeninghelpinglearning.com. Welcome to the Third Turn Podcast, a resource for experienced executives facing into future succession and legacy. Today's guest is Cheryl Edwards Cannon, school consultant for Grand Valley State University Charter Schools Office and an advocate for laying the foundation for future leaders. Hi, everyone. I'm Linda Milanowski Westdorp, co-host of the Third Turn Podcast, and I have the pleasure of welcoming two people today. First is today's co-host, Mark L. Vincent who is the founder of Maestro Level Leaders, Design Group International, and the Society for Process Consulting. Mark is also a co-host of the Third Turn Podcast. So welcome, Mark. It's a pleasure to co-host with you today. Well, I agree, Linda. Every time I'm with you, I really enjoy it. And I'm delighted to be with you on this particular podcast episode. And I want to put in a plug for you right away so you don't have to do it for yourself. You are recruiting our next Maestro Level Leader cohort. We've been at this for a couple of years. We're delighted, very delighted that you said yes to this and you're hard at work gathering a group of seasoned and experienced executives who want to live well into their third turn. So I can't wait to see this take off. Well, thank you, Mark. It's an honor to have this opportunity and I'm looking forward to it. And as you said, recruitment is open as we speak. So listeners, if you or someone you know might be interested, please visit maestroleveleaders.com and let us know of your interest or desire to connect with someone who would benefit from this resource. And now we have the privilege of chatting with Cheryl Edwards-Cannon. Cheryl has shown up in all three turns of my career as a colleague. Early in my career at Miller Knoll, mid-second turn while both of us were coaching Hope College Center for Leadership students, and more recently in her role as a school consultant with Grand Valley State University, where she recruited me for one of the Grand Valley authorized local charter school boards. And now, after having the privilege of learning from you, Cheryl, in this last year regarding board governance, what works well, what are some of the pitfalls to avoid, I'm grateful for your willingness to share your learning with our listeners. Thank you, Linda, for inviting me. And Mark, it's a pleasure to meet you. I've heard a lot about you. Well, likewise, Cheryl. I want to put in just a little plug here for my hope for this conversation, what I think we're going to get from this. I've been privileged in the last couple of months to help start a peer-based advising group for heads of school of charter schools. And I'm just getting more acquainted with that world for the first time. And I can't wait to hear what you're going to tell us as you talk about your own leadership journey. So let's start with that context. Can you tell us about what brought you from office furniture? I think I have that right to making a difference in the charter school movement. Oh, I'd be happy to. How ironic that is. I think of myself as a kaleidoscope, different shapes, different colors. I sparkle 
my behavior is always very high energy, but my leadership opportunities seem to have found me. My earliest careers were in manufacturing, as you said, with General Motors, Westinghouse Furniture Systems, and finally with Miller Knoll, where Linda and I first met. Each opportunity afforded me a chance to develop new leadership skills and to increase my areas of responsibilities. But after living in the manufacturing sector for over 10 years, I accepted a position with the local Chamber of Commerce as their vice president of marketing and events. Here I learned about public administration and the business community and how to create opportunities for business success. But little did I know that this would lead me to accept a position as a marketing manager for National Heritage Academies, a charter school management company. After about four years in that role, National Heritage promoted me to a newly created position of director of partner relations. This position gave me my first opportunity to work directly with charter school boards, and this was a completely new space for me as well as the company. The school boards that I interfaced with were in Michigan, Ohio, North Carolina, and Indiana. I thought, naively, that the director of partner relations would be my last turn until the charter school's office at Grand Valley State called me and offered an opportunity to join them as a school consultant. I made the turn. Wow. You use the word kaleidoscope. What a great word. And I find in my career of working with uh, longtime and senior executives, those that have had such a breadth of experience, like you're describing, are often really capable at dealing with complexity because they, they're just able to examine things with any number of lenses that a kaleidoscope gives you. Uh, how would you summarize your experience in light of these three turns of leadership that we talk about? Yes. My mentor early in my career choices taught me that your career comes in three phases. Phase one is where you are learning from others, you're perfecting your craft, and you're gaining credibility. Phase two, I learned, moves you into leadership positions that offer more responsibility and opportunities for managing people or a process. Then phase three, you are considered an expert in this or that, and subsequently you are sought after for those experiences and skill sets. Today, Mark, I am clearly in phase three. As a school (laughs) consultant, I am managing 11 school boards across the state of Michigan, and these experiences have led me to three broad areas of board engagement that I would like to focus on for our discussion today. The first one will be opening new schools turning around underperforming schools. And the third engagement is the succession planning for board presidents. Well, Linda and I are, of course, are uh, ready to engage in this conversation with you, particularly because succession is a part of that. That's what this uh, podcast is all about. And I really like how you describe those as phases, three phases. If we were Hindu, Uh, we would be saying there actually is a fourth turn, and that is preparing for our demise, uh, making sure everything is wrapped up well and our relationships are at peace. So we're standing on ancient, ancient tradition to talk about these three turns. It's not something we invented and, and rolled around. And out of your turns now, you're sitting here saying there are three levels of board engagement for charter schools, and you're getting to use your third turn for that. So can you give us just a little bit more about those three types of board engagements? For, for instance, what do they have in common? 
Great question, Mark. What's common to all three of these is that the board always needs to focus on ensuring alignment with the educational goals and the fiscal responsibility of their school. And these goals are outlined in the charter contract. Secondly, the purpose of a board is to govern, to create a strategy for the organization and adopt policies in support of that strategy. Boards also have the responsibility for recruiting competent and skilled board members who are aligned with the mission, goals, and values of the organization. Another responsibility that I try to advocate for that's common to all board engagements is for the board to do an annual self-evaluation to determine areas of excellence as well as areas for improvement, including not only in the process of governance, but also assessing outcomes in student academics and fiscal responsibility. It is highly recommended that a board engage and retain the services of legal counsel should any ethical, legislative, or policy changes be needed. Cheryl, that's really helpful context for all of your board engagements. Now let's take us through three types of engagement with important distinctions for each of the type of transitions you mentioned earlier. So the opening of new schools, turnaround of underperforming schools, and as Mark said, the importance of succession, board president. Okay, happy to. Well, first one, the key difference between a newly established board, which is my personal favorite, and a seasoned board is that a brand new board is walking into a new school building. They have new staff, they have new students, they have parents that are excited. This type of board will have all new learning opportunities throughout their first few years. And we like to call it their honeymoon period. If you contrast that in just a moment to a established board, all boards will receive a fair amount of training, but with a newly established board, they will receive extensive training on board roles and responsibilities. They will get coaching on running efficient and effective meetings and understanding the legal requirements of operating a school. And lastly, and almost most important, is understanding school finance. If you look at a season board, one that's been around for several years, they will experience a trend in their performance of school in terms of academic performance, highs and lows. Some years students do better academically than other years, and there might be a low period with that. They will also experience an increase in student student behavior occasionally, staff turnover, and turnover in board membership. And of course, during the COVID epidemic, our school boards were presented with tremendous challenges never experienced before. Lots of new learning during that period. Absolutely. I can attest to that just from the first year being on a board following COVID and how your initial advice of always returning to the alignment with the educational goals and ensuring the outcomes for the students and the financial stewardship are great grounding spots to always look back to. So that's a very thorough process, obviously, for onboarding a new group. Tell us how do you approach more, maybe perhaps a more delicate situation of an underperforming school board? Well, Linda, I wish I could say I've never had any experience in that area, but I have had a fair number of schools where the board has veered off track. School performance declines, enrollment suffers, and when a board is going through that kind of an adjustment or that kind of a change, 
I may spend time with them in an informal discernment process by asking them questions about their own performance. I may conduct an informal self-evaluation and have them reflect on how they are doing, then gently insert other ways they can become more effective. Having board members talk out loud and to one another about their performance can be very, very helpful. If needed, a one-on-one conversation with me, with a particular board member, who may be exercising oversight can also occur. It becomes critically important to redirect the board to focus on governance and not management. Simply put, I always tell boards this on a regular basis, you should constantly ask yourself two simple questions. Are the students learning? And what is your evidence of that? The second question, is the budget being followed as it's been approved by the board? And what evidence do you have of that? If the board can keep focus on those two questions and the answers, then the school board, as well as the school operations, will remain in a high-performing organization. I have personally witnessed that you do an amazing job of coaching and holding to those two principles very consistently. And I imagine with a turnaround, it's a time-consuming process as changes like this likely don't happen overnight, do they? No, it can take a, a couple of years to get them back on track. Well, thank you, Cheryl. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back to cover the third engagement with boards, which is succession planning for the board president. Research shows that four in 10 executive directors or business owners plan to exit in the next five years but half of them have no formal exit strategy. Are you an executive who wants to be proactive and develop future value, succession strategy, and legacy for you and your organization? If so, Maestro Level Leaders was designed with you in mind. This small group, peer-based leadership journey helps leaders explore, map, and implement a new season of growth, value, impact, and significance for themselves their successors, and the organization as a whole. Our next cohort is forming now. So if this sounds helpful to you or someone you know, please go to maestro-levelleaders.com and complete the form there to initiate a conversation. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we're talking with Cheryl Edwards-Cannon from the Grand Valley State University Charter Schools Office Cheryl, thus far in this conversation, we've heard of your engagement in starting new boards, which you say that's a lot of fun for you, as well as working with underperforming boards to get back on track. You also mentioned a third engagement uh, when a board president announces intentions of stepping down. Uh, That puts it into some sort of succession mode, right? So what practices have you found that aid smooth transitions from one board president to another. Sure. The um, importance of succession planning is sometimes overlooked, Mark, quite frankly. However, as boards become more expert in their roles, I now see a trend where boards are making this a priority to do better planning around this. Typically, when the board president is ready to step down, they will announce that they will not be continuing at the end of their term. Then once an opening is announced for the president uh, position, a successor is nominated from the existing board members. This person will then shadow the outgoing president for about a year. 
I really like that because it's a model, a place we can look for planful successions as opposed to abrupt ones. And there's so many organizations, whether boards or C-suites that say, no, you know, get it done, bite it off, sew it up, get out of there, get the next person in. And so much continuity and institutional memories lost because of that. Um, I also note something here before I ask you this next question. It's, it's that so often people who are accomplished executives tend to be board members who rush in, rush out, come in, and they come in with an executive mindset rather than a board governance mindset to their roles. And I just want to ask, do you find that that also shows up during succession planning for board presidents? Somewhat, but probably what the best model I have seen so far, Mark, is when a thoughtful board president wants to leave that board in the best possible condition. I have one board president in particular who's been serving almost 30 years, and he has made it very clear he's done at the end of June. So what he has uh, instituted is this shadowing opportunity. Mm -hmm. And this will go on for about a year this successor will have an opportunity to lead meetings because that board agenda changes from one month to the next. New mm -hmm. items are only discussed at certain times of the year. And so the, the exiting president will also hold coaching sessions for the successor wow. to provide feedback and answer any questions. The successor also will start to interface with the school leader as well to make sure they understand what's happening on the academic side. So that may be one among this list, but what skills and abilities are you looking for in board members, especially those who would become a board president? Sure. It's very important that my board president is a really good listener. A good board president is effective when they encourage all board members to fully participate and express their ideas and suggestions. They remind the board as necessary of why they exist and what the mission of the school is. An effective board president also has the skill set to diffuse conflict among the members and is able to redirect behavior that might be determined to be detrimental to the board or to the school. That's great. I'm picturing this person who is the current president in this posture of listening inviting a candidate to come in and engage in a year of listening and observing where that's just such a strong starting point. I'm really interested in hearing more about this year of onboarding, shadowing. What does that look like for that successive board president? Well, there are times when the current board president is not able to attend a meeting, for example, and then that successor has a chance to step right in and facilitate the meeting. And then he does a debrief after that meeting on how it went. There are times when the outgoing president is, pre is present and he, he kind of steps back and allows the successor to lead the meeting, therefore giving the current seated president an opportunity to evaluate their performance and they do a debris following. So it can take um, a couple of different variations throughout the year, but we are confident in this particular model that the successor has been able to demonstrate leadership at meetings for at least one to two years so far. Well, all of this is helpful, both what's common and 
universal to the boards and then different types of transitions someone on a board or being a board president might experience. And now speaking of transitions, I'd like to transition back to you, Cheryl. What meaning, you mentioned you're clearly in your third turn, what meaning do you find in this segment of your career? And include in your response some thoughts about why do you continue to do it and what else might be on deck? Wow, that's a loaded question, Linda. <laughs> like I said, I love doing uh, new school openings. So this year, I've been tapped to open a new school here in Grand Rapids this fall. And so I'm working with a very novice board. And I love the way that they're grasping it and they're getting it and they're excited. And I tell them all the time, hold on to that. Hold on to that feeling because it will change over time. But equal to that, my real passion, to tell you the truth, that I've done for a number of years is, is providing comfort and care for the elderly. I'm a 20 plus year veteran of elderly care. I took care of both my parents for over 20 years. And as I was getting experience with opening new charter schools across the country, I parlayed that experience into creating my own consulting group called Clear Path Choices. And I'm joined by a team of experts who assist in offering guidance in the area of legal, finance, safety guidelines, caregiving. Um, we offer these services to families who are struggling with caring for a loved one. The same rush that I get and the same sense of accomplishment I get when I'm opening a new school, I feel the same way when I sit with a client who, when we meet, is overwhelmed by the needs of a loved one who can no longer take care of him or herself. To guide them to a place of hope and peace and give them peace of mind is my ultimate goal. It truly is one of the greatest joys of my life to serve people in this way. We've all heard that saying, once a man, twice a child. Well, children depend on us as adults to keep them safe, provide learning, and explain the environment around them and information. Toward the end of life, we have the same opportunity to give the same support to vulnerable adults who need protection and help with sorting out the world around them as well. That's my personal philosophy. Cheryl, every time I hear you tell that story, I am so warmed and happy of two things. One, such an amazing transfer of skills to such different environments, and then so blessed to hear the impact you're having on our communities in two special populations at both bookends of life. So I'm just always thankful and want to express thanks for what you're doing to contribute to our society in two very special places. It's my honor. It's my joy. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, we've now come to a time in which we transition into what we call our turning point questions, which are the same for every podcast. And so, Mark, will you lead us through these? Yes, and I'm doing it just so happy to have been exposed to this pocket of planful succession work and to know that here's a place we can go to for examples. I'm just so delighted. Uh, Cheryl, have you ever considered another interest or role at some point in your life? I, I like to ask the question this way. If you ever had a chance to do something else, if you had life to live over, whatever, what's another area of interest you might have pursued vocationally? Well, I'll let you in on a little secret, Mark. I've always been fascinated with dentistry uh -huh. and I, I wanted to be a dentist and I, but I didn't tell anybody that I, I, that's, that was my real career goal. 
My uncle was a dentist and I worked in his office during summers in high school. And I was just fascinated with the level of technology and the techniques and how teeth affect your overall health. I really thought that that was going to be my wheelhouse until I had a chance to look at the curriculum. And it was all those chemistry classes that (laughs) probably were off-putting to me. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. No, went a different direction. I would have enjoyed your chairside manner, I'm sure, for you, my (laughs) dentist. Uh, Another question we like to ask is, looking back, what is a leadership lesson you wish you'd learned earlier? To absorb the information around you. What I've learned is that when I'm new in an organization, I'm sitting around the table with my colleagues, I need to listen and take it all in. Take notes, formulate questions, just keep absorbing. Secondly, I have learned through some of my peers to have confidence in the gifts that I really have acquired and not minimize those gifts. People tell me all the time about some of the things that I bring to other people's lives. And I know I don't know. You don't have to give me accolades. And I'm learning how to accept that as a compliment. Oh, wonderful. And we always like to ask people about what they're reading. So what's a current book you're reading and why did you choose it? I've been reading Smart Brevity. It's a very short little book that helps improve communication styles when you're talking to clients. And I found it to be effective with my boards as well. That sounds like you just gave a Smart Brevity answer. (laughs) Yeah, I tried. I'm still working on it. I'm still a work in process on that. Thank you once again, Cheryl, for sharing those gifts with us today and all the lessons that have come through your life experiences, utilizing your gifts and sharing them with the world around us. And listeners, we thank you for the time you've given to this episode. We will put additional resources in the notes for episode summary. And as a reminder, as Mark mentioned at the beginning, we're gathering our next Maestro Level Leaders cohort. It's a four-year journey with others facing into future value, succession, and legacy as they enter into those last chapters of enterprise leadership. If you would like to know more, please visit maestroleveleaders.com. Let us know of your interest or desire to connect with someone who would benefit from this resource if it's you or someone you know. The Third Turn Podcast is a production of Design Group International. Mark L. Vincent got us started several years ago and launched the first of these cohorts. I'm now Linda Milanowski-Westor, co-host and executive advisor with 30 plus years experience in leadership, spanning change, human and product development, focused in the intersection of people and process. Our co-host, Mark Vincent, Jennifer Miller is a producer, and our sound engineer is Josh Brinkman. We welcome your subscription and sharing this podcast with others. And we'll be back in two weeks with our next fresh serving of the Third Turn Podcast. This is for grandchildren's grandchildren.